I've found that the sooner a designer can embrace the process, and if you can learn to work quickly and in different ways, so not just the, the same thing over and over and over and over, but you do like 10 of those and then you just jump and you go left, and you go right, you go up, you go down. You can work really quickly and you can make a lot of different work in a fairly short time frame um, and in a way that doesn't just burn your budget. Hey everybody, welcome to Works in Process. This podcast is a series of conversations where I speak to designers, artists, writers, and more to discuss their creative methodologies. I'm your host, designer and educator, George Garastegui. In this episode, I chat with designer and educator Peter Alberg. I met with him in the studio in Soho, New York. We talked about how his book, Please Make This Look Nice, and its exhibition at the Drawing Center was part of the impetus for my own podcast journey. This episode is so chock full of design nuggets. Let's just get into it. I hope you enjoy. Hey, Peter. Hi, George. Hey, thanks for taking the time to chat with me, you know, at your office at All & Co. here in Manhattan. Um, so I'm not quite sure if you left to listen to my show, but I think pre- you, you mentioned that you ca- caught a couple episodes. Yes. But um, I start off by asking my guests some icebreaker questions, and I do this to get us both loose and for a more fun and natural conversation. Yep. Um, so you're ready? I'm ready. In fact, I saw that you did this, and I made a point of not look like thinking about it too much so I could be honest in my... <laughs> So none of this is planned. Right. Yeah. Well, good, good, because yeah. I changed the beginnings. Oh, you did? Okay. <laughs> I saw, I know, one. Because my I wife saw one where you said Nas or Jay-Z, and I was like, that's an easy. I can, I can do that. Okay. You can always answer that one after. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so here we go. It's Nas, by the way. Oh, yeah. all right. So answer mm-hmm. before. Uh-huh. <laughs> Coffee or tea? Coffee. Writing or designing? Both. If you had to pick one? Design. Books or posters? Books. Print or digital? Print. Designing or teaching? Designing. Cool. See? Simple. Right? And now we're going to do a bit of the word association. This is probably what you heard more. This is just, you know, that um, first thing you think of when you hear these words. Yep. Creativity. Misconception. Design. Visual thinking. Art whatever it wants to be business what makes the world go round failure the best thing ever clients lovely companions in the creative process (laughs) (laughs) mistakes also the best tools critically important skills that's part of tools also critically important Opportunity. Something that you can make yourself. Future. Mm. Completely up to us to decide. Risk. Something to be cautious about. And last but not least, process. The, the beginning, middle, and end. Those are great. Thanks. <laughs> Some people do one words. You're like complete thoughts. I, I, I did. I mean, I cheated a little and listening to the other podcasts and I thought, God, there's no way I can have a, I'm just not smart enough to have a, a one word response to it. I, I, it goes back to what we were saying about writing. I just, 
I need a, a little bit of extra words to, <laughs> to express to, to express the thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's no right or wrong, which is which is perfect. Cool. I just want to give our audience a little bit of background. Sure. I met you about a year and a half ago. We were at the Paul Sayer book event for the yep. AIGA in New York, and then I realized before that I met you because of the exhibit you created, Please Make This Look Nice, at the Drawing Center. Correct. So I think I was there, maybe like one of the first days. I think you were like the first person there. <laughs> and I was like thinking yeah. it's going to be a normal exhibit. Yeah. And I, I go there and... It's the, empty. And the, <laughs> I'm like, did I, am I here too early? Am I supposed to help set up? Uh, <laughs> and then I, you were sitting by a computer, and I think we had a quick conversation yeah, and i was yeah. like what's going on there's nothing on the walls yes and you just obviously enlightened me that the exhibit was this 30-day exhibit of the process in the making yes it was and, a it was a simulated design studio in the basement of the drawing center um with a, a handful of different designers who came sometimes for a day sometimes for two sometimes for three days um accented with a huge um collection of talks and micro exhibits and other things to sort of fill in the gaps. I mean, at a certain point it almost became like performative, you know, sitting in a design studio and working in the basement of this museum. Right. And then I, I, I think I started following you on, on either social and just seeing mm. the iteration and how things were evolving and noticing that, oh, this is something that you should go see more often. It's not just at a regular exhibit where you go see it and it's there. It's, it's always evolving. That's true. It was, it was very much a, a living, breathing thing. I mean, even even the exhibition itself had, you, know, you basically broke the, the show down to four weeks, and each week had its own micro-exhibit, which was also really cool. Like, you'd come back, you know, when you showed up, we had a small exhibit of uh, historical-type materials from the LeBallon Center. Right. And then the week after that, it was all this unbelievable material that experimental jet set had sent us right um of their own process materials for the for an exhibition they had designed in god i think in beijing and then the week after that it was all um source collage material by john gall and then the week after that it was screen print um make readies by paul Serre. and so we sort of tracked the process itself through these micro exhibits which were also in the same space as this living breathing design studio right and i and very interestingly you know with this you designed and wrote the book that went with the exhibit and um i think a year after that i was part of this fellowship for an education group called design incubation Mm. where i was going to think about writing a review and i'm thinking about it i used that for my book review Mm. but during the weekend i realized that my writing skills aren't up to par as compared to everybody else in the room and I guess the things that you don't tell your students is right. You shouldn't compare yourself to anybody else, but you know, it's a natural thing. And I realized that instead of writing about process, because it's something that I've thought about with the ideas of failure before I got into grad school, Mm. right? Failure is just the ability to keep on going. Um, And when I realized this, it was like, you know what? I probably do better in having conversations with people instead of about writing about the conversations I've had with people. Yes. So I changed my scholarly intent to now become this podcast. So thank you for that inspiration to say, well, you know what? The book is about process. Mm -hmm. The process is learning that I wasn't good at something and I should shift (laughs) 
<laughs> so um, I really appreciate that this kind of helped spearhead what I'm doing right now. So I once- think it's I think it's awesome, and <laughs> and you're welcome, and thank you for sort of taking the torch and and doing something with it too. I mean, what's what's fascinating to me about your own insight is that I, I came to the exact same conclusion when I started making the book that in the earliest in the earliest iterations of the book. I really thought that I would either commission essays or write it myself. And I just, it it became so clear that to talk about process is a conversation that it's not, I find it actually most times when I, when I read it sort of distilled down in this very, um, very clear way, it doesn't resonate as true to me. In fact, I would, I would go a step further take a step back and say uh, Michael Rock's book uh, Multiple Signatures Mm -hmm. also like utilizes interview conversation I mean there there are essays that he includes in that book as well but I think that the nature of the process if you want to talk about it honestly requires a back and forth so the next thing I want to just talk about is, is obviously you know we can go on your LinkedIn and see all about you but I'd rather have a more personal understanding of who you are. So this is, this is when I, you know, call the origin story, right? So just give a quick five minute rundown of where you grew up, the schools you went to, maybe your first jobs, and then transitioning into what you're doing today. And of course the book, right? Five Um, minutes time, five minutes. Okay. I'll I'll set the timer. Uh, well, you know, I, I always think back on my earliest memories as a kid when, uh, my mom was a, a paste-up artist and in the early 80s, and she worked in the Lightroom at this, uh, a couple different publishers. And so I didn't know it at the time, but I was surrounded by the tools of designers in the, in the early 80s, in, into the mid-late 80s, basically everything pre-computer. Um, and to me, that was just fun. Like, art was fun, but I also knew my way around. I mean... Most people our age don't know what like a rapidograph is, or oh, even a French curve. Those or were great. they were great. Um, the the tools for pulling up rubber cement. I mean, all these things were my version of crayola crayons that all my other peers had. So I think that that was hugely informative. <clears throat> um, I think from there, you know, I grew up in uh, northwestern New Jersey, which at the time was super super rural i joke with people that i have more in common with someone who grew up in ohio than somebody who grew up in the regular part of new jersey (laughs) um it was really a a pretty pretty normal you know suburban upbringing maybe the exception to that is um my mom was a huge saul steinberg fan if you know who saul steinberg is and why does that sound familiar Saul Steinberg was was a really important illustrator, um, most known for his New Yorker covers. I think, you know, the view of the world from New York City and oh, just shows like this and everything you know, else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She she was a huge Saul Steinberg fan. So we had like you know we had some stuff that that was uh, I think very much informs my thinking about things today. So uh, Saul Steinberg and Matisse prints and stuff like that around the house. But otherwise, it was really middle of the road suburbia um i i I do think back to a couple instances i had in high school that were the 
the, the fledgling of, of a design career, I think. Um, first, all the album art for me and my bands that we had from late middle school and high school, um, photocopy, you know, weird, <laughs> fun, all the fun stuff you have when, when you're in eighth and ninth grade in, right. in a little band. Um, I designed the logo for the uh, musicals that the school did. Which was really cool, and they're printed on T-shirts. And I remember thinking, "That's cool! Like, it's cool to make something that's printed on a T-shirt." And my senior of high school, I worked. I was on the, like the yearbook club, yeah. And I was charged with the design of the cover of the yearbook. And it's funny how how I think back to this because the thinking was so designerly, even though I couldn't articulate it then. You know, we had all these photos and we had all this stuff, and we said, "Oh, well, what should we do?" And I just said, "Well, you know what? It, it, it seems like a Bob Gill solution to a high school yearbook. Well, the uh, let's put a series of photos of the front of the high school on the front cover, and we'll put photos of the back of the high school on the back cover, and that's the cover of the yearbook. You know, front and front and back and back. And it was, you know, looking back on it, I'm like, yeah, like." That's cool. Like that's how designers think. You know, you try to bring, you try to bring logic and, and intent to to what you're doing to to communicate to somebody. Anyway, so uh, then I I actually, and I think that this also tells speaks to what design is about. Um, I studied computer science at the Rochester Institute of Technology for a year, and then hated that, and then. <laughs> with absolute clarity switched into design and transferred to SVA in New York. And as soon as I studied design, I mean, I, in throughout my, throughout my life, I had always had an inkling toward art quote unquote, but also, um, a a strong ability at analytical things, math, Mm -hmm. computer science, whatever. And to me, that's, that's design like design is where you can do both of these things right that, that the analytic and the you know i don't know what you'd call design the the, the improvisational the quote-unquote creative even though i have such issues with that word um these two things come together and you can you can weight them different ways for different projects and depending on your tendencies but that really made sense to me and so as soon as i started studying design uh, especially at sva with really great teachers, I was like, "Oh, this is, this is it!" Like, with a clarity that of what I wanted to do and what made sense for me in a way that nothing else had ever, um, you know, made sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and the rest is history. Then I graduated, worked, stuck around the city, yeah, did my thing. <laughs> so, I mean, now we get to this book. This book is, you know. I mean, I guess you can say it's a compendium to the exhibit or is the exhibit a compendium to the book? I don't really know because to me, they're two different things. The exhibit, we just briefly talked about the idea yeah. that it was um, something that was was changing and, 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 and morphing as the 30 days went along. This book, you know, you sit and talk to, I think it's about 22 designers um, and, you, and you ask them a series of questions in a way that takes you the author or the interviewer out of the equation Mm -hmm. and it allows it allows the flow of the designers to kind of feel like it was just all this conversation that was just happening Mm. you know which i really saw was an interesting way of saying even though the questions were asked possibly you literally 
just strip them from the the quote unquote interview to just kind yes. of make it feel like they just talked about the next subject automatically. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think the the way I thought about the the relationship between the exhibition and the book was always you know the, the exhibition was the case study that was something experiential. It was ephemeral. It came and went. It wasn't a deep dive so much as it was um, opening up the design world and what designers do to a, to a broader audience. Um, and and um, uh, I don't know what the word cross disciplinary. You know, you had artists. You have people who are interested in their own pure art making practice, drawing, um, general populace. Um, you know, and then to be exposed to to designers and to how they approach things and what they do, I think it was really interesting. Um, the book. On the other hand, is it's it's it gets deep into this stuff, and I think that it's really, um, you know, when when I was first working on the book, um, somebody I was interviewing <laughs> said this is either the best or the worst idea for a project <laughs> ever. <laughs> and, and to me, I I I really I genuinely like to think it, and still, you know, a handful of years later, we're at a, we're still at this important moment, although less so. Um, where you have designers who are still of the old guard, you know. You, I mean, when when this book came out, you know, it was still alive, and he was still making work without any computer or keyboard. And then you have a whole generation of people who lived through that transition, and that very much affects their work. And you have a whole generation of people who don't touch paper, and they don't they, they don't even do print. They just like it's all digital. And and the fact that all all these people of different ages are all quote unquote designers right. is fascinating to me. Um, <clears throat> the other the other thing that you that you mentioned, which I absolutely can't take credit for, was how the interviews are are treated in the book, and that was totally an idea that I stole from David Foster Wallace in his book "Brief Interviews with Hideous Men," <laughs> which is is amazing. If you've never read it, um, but a lot of the interview, they're fictitious interviews. Uh, but most of the time he doesn't include the questions from the interviewer because the, when answer is given, it implies the question that was asked. And so from my perspective, I thought that allowed the, the interviews to read more fluidly and it also helped save space in the book so we could include other works and so we can make the most out of the book itself. Right. And I think in the book, if, um, if anybody ever gets a chance to, to see it, um, it's, it also has all of this behind the scenes, art boards, artwork, you know, full bleeds, you know, across pages, which I think really allows the space saving thing to really put emphasis on the work, but not the finished shiny work, all the grit, the grime, the, the, the dirty all things, the good stuff. All the good stuff. Yeah. You know, the, the final work is kind of like, eh, okay, thanks. But, right. you know, um, the grittiness is what you want to see because sometimes we, I think we attribute too much of design as being the perfect pretty thing mm. versus all the grit. And it, I really appreciate that that aspect of it to really look and be like, oh, these are how all these design legends are thinking about processing. But is one one of the things that you mentioned, obviously the idea that people use paper and then people use digital. I think there's an interesting thing that I took from your um, introduction to the book. And it's the act that, well, it's the your idea that drawing is the act of process or process and drawing are kind of, you know, 
linked together. And you wrote something where I concluded that the whole design process itself is an act of drawing. Indeed, lines are drawn throughout the design process intentionally or fortuitously. Very broad definition of drawing allows us for the inclusion of techniques as seemingly disparate as the iterative of sketching an illustrator, collecting antique books, meandering around the internet, applying paint to canvas, taking notes at a meeting, and preparing mechanicals for print production. And all of those different things mm. are like ways of making marks, but not a traditional sense of what everybody hears, what drawing Absolutely. tends to be. <clears throat> and I think that the idea at first was, ooh, how is drawing and making a mark the actual act of drawing versus all of these other things, which I would agree exactly is more of what process is as well. Just mm -hmm. the idea of formulating information. Yeah. Why, why was that links, I guess, an important way of you delineating what process was for you? I think that in a lot of ways I've absorbed a lot of the, the thinking that comes out of the drawing center itself, which is a longstanding client of mine. And so in, in, in seeing how artists have, taken the idea of drawing and interpreted it and reinterpreted it beyond just the, the craft of, you know, representing reality, um, or, or even not even dealing, not even dealing with, with the actual nature of like, did I use Sharpie marker? Do I use ink? Do, you know, seeing drawing as, as this holistic process and this, this way of getting to something I think very much resonated with me in my understanding of the design process. And, and it became an important framework in order to talk about these things. So it, it, it allowed some structure to, 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 to something which is essentially structureless. I mean, I, I think the design process may, the design process basically just has a beginning and end. Right, like you start somewhere, and then at a certain point you have to be done. And so, how do you how do you formulate a, a structure around that that allows you to sort of talk about these other things? Um. So so anyway, so that that's really how the 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 role of drawing became an important part in putting this book and the exhibition together. Um. You know, the the other thing, and, and this was both something that we touched on in the book. And something that was expressed over and over in the in the show, which is like, you know, and I'm sure you as an educator see this all the time. So you do a, a like a logo design project. Okay, we're gonna make a logo. All the logos, you know, they look crisp and clean. They're finished and they're perfect. And so everybody thinks, well, if I made this thing, in order to make this thing look crisp and clean, perfect, I need to start using a tool that's crisp and clean, perfect. So everybody jumps into Adobe Illustrator and they just start moving circles around and letters and, and type. And then because they're trying so hard to get to that crisp, clean place. Right. Right. And I think that a, a big, I think a big insight that came out of this work, which is, Basically, what you see is just the tip of the iceberg, and a lot of a lot of the process is embedded in the work, even if you don't know about it. Like right. even if it's not immediately apparent, as you begin to, you know, if you talk to any designer and you look at their sketches or the iterations or like Stephen Doyle's, um, right? Like they're they're not quite sketchbooks; they're just these collections of photos and ephemera and stuff that he finds. You can draw a direct line from. You know, a, a, a marble 
plaque that he saw on a tree in Italy to a illustration solution that he did for the times. It's clear as day. You wouldn't know it if you just looked at the finished piece, but as you, be, as you begin to unpack this stuff, um, all these different paths and routes really, really become clear. Right. Starting to relook at the definition of drawing. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think that's a really interesting way of, of allowing people to say that, ooh, you know what, I don't draw well. And it really irks me to hear people yeah. say that because it's not about your skill, like you said, of representing something realistic. It's mm-hmm. your ability to communicate. I and think if, that, you, yeah. if you can do that, it starts to make sure that your information can come across to the people you need it to. Yeah. I, I, would, I would just, I, there's, in the interview with Milton Glaser, he, I mean, Milton Glaser is like, hands down the, you know a premier drawer in the traditional sense um, everybody knows that he's I mean I think he has a book about it but drawing for him and he talks about this in the interview is about looking closely at something that you haven't looked at before I would I would sort of elaborate on that say it's it's really about slowing down and paying close attention so you know, I think in the interview he says, if I'm going to drop your ear, I'm going to look at your ear. I'm going to look at the contours and the light and the shadow in a way that I've never looked at your ear before. And I think that that as an approach is, is translates immediately to, to, to any of the other aspects that we're talking about the process that, that this, I mean, the, to use you know, a trendy word like mindfulness or, or whatever it is, it all comes from the same place. It's, it's a slowing down and to paying attention to things and allowing that to inform the work that you make. And I think that that is, A, I think it makes better work, probably more original work, and I think that it makes making work really fun. So, I mean, we, you started to touch on some of the people in the book, the Milton Glaser, Stephen Doyles. Um, how did you select the designers for the book? And did you leave anybody out? And if so, how come? <laughs> I mean, this, this sounds so uh, passive. It was, I had my wish list, and it was whoever would give me the time of day. And that was, that was essentially it. I mean, there, there were a handful of interviews um, which, which didn't make into the final cut, um, which mm, the editor and the publisher had a bit of a say in. There was also something that sort of became clear the deeper I got into this, which was a certain maturity is required to, to talk thoughtfully about process. And experimental jet talk, excuse me, uh, experimental jet set talks about this. Um, that that you have a process within the process that the process isn't just within each project but the more you do it say you say you've been practicing designer for 10 or 15 years you can step back a little further and you can see the trajectory of your career you can see the 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 regular mistakes that you've made you can see these successes you can begin to see rhythms and habits that come through and you can see the the overall arc of your career as part of the process as well and what 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 became pretty clear um, throughout the throughout the interview process for the book was some people they're just not there yet they're they're not they don't have that self awareness when it comes to to talking about their work and, it, and and the process that goes into the work in a way that 
sort of expresses itself in a thoughtful way that it just didn't translate well. You know, I, I think that for a lot of young designers and I'd say young, let's ballpark and say under 30, mm-hmm. um, there's still, even if there's a you know, very, very high level of talent, there isn't that you, you haven't done it enough to, to be able to step back and say, Oh, this is, this is how I like to approach things that still, still working work in progress or work in process um i mean i guess right that's a reflectiveness yeah the, the ability to have that much time because it was going to go into my next question is like you know why did you think you focused on these particular designers but it does sound like there was an obvious distinction yeah. that you noticed that people who've been doing it for a lot longer have the ability to speak more eloquently or even understand yeah what they're doing i i would say that on average you had sort of a sweet spot like if you've been doing it for a short, say under 10 years, you're still figuring it out. If you've been doing it, say longer than 60 years, <laughs> you've almost done it so much that it's all meaningless. So like finding, finding these people <laughs> in this, you know, 30 or 40 year range, uh, who were still super passionate about it. Um, but also seasoned enough to uh, to be able to give some insights to you know, students. It seems you have a lot of great people in the sweet spot of the Michael Bay Roots, the Natasha Jens, the Paula Scher, um, Milton Glaser, but then Ed Fella, you know, Abbott Miller, yeah, you know, Gail Anderson, John Gall, Bob Gill, <laughs> Stephen Doyle, right? Like, you know, James Victoria. Like, they all seem to have very different and distinct ways of working yeah it's interesting the uh richard wilde the now former chair of the um, undergraduate design department sva um always talk you know he had this mantra and i'll get it wrong but the spirit of it'll be right which is um those who know know not those who know not know this was his thing and he he brought it into his teaching practice wholeheartedly and and I re- that really began to make sense in the wake of doing this this book that I spent so much time with these different ideas, oftentimes opposing, and with these people both in their physical presence as well as w- working through their transcripts and and working with their work and and actually laying out the book, um, it it really messed with my head, it, genuinely. It, How so? Uh, it really made me question my own, not my work, but the way I approach the work. I, you know, it, in, in a way, it sort of forces you to say, well, what's, what's my version? You know, what's, where do I fall within this spectrum? You know, if, <clears throat> if you know, so-and-so says, this is the most important thing, and somebody else says, no, no, this is the most important thing. It, it, in a way, it sort of takes you to task, because then you have to say, like, what is it for me? You know, and, and I think that that was another huge takeaway from this book that, that there isn't a one size fits all with, with design. And that it's actually, I think that if I were to, to try to distill it down, we have to exploit our quirks and idiosyncrasies and make those the ownable things for our work and what we bring to the conversation of design rather than trying to model ourselves in somebody else's image or trying to do work the way so-and-so did you sort of have to look at yourself and say like what do i care about like where where do i place value what 
avenues get me to make the best work possible. And that's like cool. And I don't think people talk about that enough, especially as design educators. The, I mean, it's hard, especially on an undergraduate level, but um, it mushes together the, the idea of personal work and like commercial design work. And that's right. actually one and the same because you can do things that are totally personal and totally aligned with your quirks and preferences and the things that you can bring to the table. And that will eventually morph its way into something super practical. And that's like, that's beautiful. Right? Like if you just get rid of those, like get rid of the idea of these two opposing things and say, well, they're going to live together. And right. They're all part of the same thing. Totally. totally. I mean, so now we're talking about, you know, interviewing all of these, you know, you, I will say design legends sure. and, um, obviously curating an exhibit at the drawing center. You're doing something for yourself. And I know as a designer, when I create things for myself, it is the most daunting task ever. Yep. And now you're creating an exhibit and a book and all of these things. And you're not, let's say letting somebody else design it. You are the one doing it. <laughs> How hard is that in the creation of the book, the interviews, the format, you know, what you choose to include. And obviously you said the exhibit is more of the case study after the fact of yeah. what the the book yeah. is, which I actually like the way that is positioned. Cause then it's kind of just like, let's see how it actually all plays out. Right. But how hard or difficult was that or easy maybe? Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> to oh, it was the this. hardest. I mean, it was, I mean, if, if you want to talk about process, you, you take two steps back and you say, well, f first you have this, you know, idea and then you have to convince people to let you do it, you know, and then you finally, you'd work so hard and for so long to get all the, all the principal parts in place, you know, the, the venue, the publisher, blah, 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 blah. And your contracts are signed and then, and, and you're already exhausted and then you actually have to go do it. <laughs> right. And then you say to your, at least for me, I said to myself, like, what was I thinking? Like, this is really, really dumb. <clears throat> and then, and then you have to go out and bother people and take up their valuable time and ask to, to rummage around their archives. And then when they send, when they show you things that you like this, and this goes back to what we were saying about some designers don't, you're not mature enough to understand or comfortable enough with really, you know, opening up the whole thing. You need to say, you know, can I, can I look at your archives? Can you show me your process stuff? And the, people would be very selective about that. You know, here's, here's the, uh, here's this finished piece. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like I want, like, I want to know how the sausage is made. I want to know, like, show me the worst thing. No, 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 I don't have that. I threw it out. And, and so sort of coaxing out the, the most honest work from the archives, putting the time into interview, transcribe. And, and that's just building content. And you haven't even designed the book yet. Right. And then you're like, okay, so I have these piles of words and images. How do I make sense out of this? And that was the most daunting task because the work wasn't mine. If I were to do a work purely of my own design work and process material, I would approach it completely differently. But you, at least for me, I, I felt a real charge and responsibility to 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 represent everybody well to have them 
read. I mean, interviews are tough to transcribe because you don't want them to read as if people are talking. You want to maintain that the the sort of personal voice, but it's also something that people are reading. And so even the the editing and the 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 coaxing of the interview into something that which is readable was a, a hugely on you know daunting process, um, and so all of this. Then you, <laughs> at least for me, I said, okay, well, now I guess I have to make a book and lay the whole thing out, all two hundred and fifty six pages or whatever it was. Maybe I think it was I think it was actually coming in like three something the first pass, <laughs> and you realize that it's all wrong because it's because you haven't organized because it doesn't make sense yet but you can't know what makes sense until you've done it you know i remember and i don't know if this is true but somebody once told me that um stefan sagmeister's a happy film um but i had heard that he basically did a full first cut to then be like oh no, no it's i need to go redo it and i think that's really true i mean most books most things of substance that i've worked on you do a whole version of it to then know what's all wrong about it. And then you take a step back and you break the whole thing down again. And then you rebuild it. This idea that you could just take all your words and pictures and lay them out nice and neat and be done with it is at least for me, maybe there are other people who are good at that, but that's the editing process. Right. 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 I mean, I think you have to get to that first round and what you mentioned is to know what's all wrong. Mm -hmm. Right. Like totally. instead of people saying to know what's right, right? You to know what's wrong because people I think tend to look at the negative sides of of things and think of them as continually negative. And yeah. I I agree with your sentiment of being like to know what's not working is to know where not to go. Right. And I oh, think totally. it, I think totally. it's a really interesting way of saying well cool, now I can focus on the five or 10 things that are yeah. instead of the 90 <laughs> that, that aren't. aren't. Exactly. It's a lot more focused, a lot more driven in what you want to say versus getting caught up in all the other things that had potential and everything like that, but yeah. then you realize are not going anywhere. Right. And sometimes, and I know that this is especially true from a student and young designer perspective, but probably, you know, we're all humans and we all have egos everything you do, there are aspects of it that you really love. You're just like, man, I love how I, you know, whatever, put this little folio here, or I did this, or I love how this is turned on angle. And the more, and this is totally true for books. The more you, the more you work through it, the more the logic of the book reveals itself. And you have to be willing to let go of those things that you, had such sentimental attachment toward or that you thought were such nice details in the earliest iterations of something and be like, but, but look at how far the, the, the design has come and look at, look at where it wants to go to finish this. And in order to do that, you have to let go of those, the things that you had, you know, an attachment to. And that's not hard. That's not easy. No, no, no. It's really, really hard. How do you, how do you let go? I don't know. You just, you just do, you just have to, is it an intuition? I think so. I think it's, it's intuition, but it's also, I think it's just maturity. I think you just, you do something enough times and you know that the little detail that you loved so much is not going to, it's not the, the game changer. You know, you have to, you almost have to do it for the, for the greater good, you know, you, for the, for the sake of this bigger object, do away with it. Right. Sometimes we get, we get lost in the weeds of like the little specific right. thing. 
and you're like, that's one fourth of a page of a 256 page book. Yeah. That is not that controls the whole meaning of no. this book. There's no. so many other intangibles that go into this. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I guess if I really had to think about it, I could think about all the bells and whistles that I, that were in the book originally that I had to take out. But in general, and this is this is sort of the the other thing that that keeps occurring to me about work. That once something's out there in the world, it is. It just is. Right. That it well better worse whether there was a whole alternate reality where it was green instead of purple once it's out there in the world it's for it's for the culture it's for everybody else and all the alternates just go away and and i mean you could go around and look at like architecture and buildings and and whatever and be like god i mean i understand this now as what i understand it as and I think that part of it is just maybe giving yourself over to that. Say like, yeah, it's just, it's going to be what it is and you do your best. But I mean, I say this to my students all the time at a certain point, the, the project, the project, whether it's a, a logo or poster or you know, app or book, it, it tells you what it wants to be. Like if you've worked through it enough, the basic shape of it becomes very apparent and then you just have to go with that. Right. But yeah, I mean, this idea, I mean, as creators and designers, I, I think the, the role of ownership over work, it's, it's hard to comprehend or it's, it's hard to uh, quantify as designers because it's so collaborative and because it's, you know, I mean, even within the, the studio, it's a whole team of people working on it, but mm-hmm. then you have the, the huge X factor of the client, but then you have the other X factor of the printer or the marketing team or the, the the developer or the computer screen that somebody's looking at. I mean, there's so many things that are just outside of your control that the idea of ownership is hard to wrap your head around, I think, as a, as a designer. Less so than if you're a writer, right? If you write a book, the book is yours. Right. Um, but, but in the same way, I, I think that we still grapple with that. You know, I made this thing now it's out there in the world and you feel like it's you know, mine. Yeah. I mean, the intangibility of it is, you know, what do you do? And such a collaborative process that how do you kind of say, I've done this, yeah. right? When there's so many people on a team that we collaborate with where a writer can say, I wrote the book. We know there's an editor. We know there's a book designer. Yeah. But they wrote the book. Yeah. Right. We're like, oh, I design this magazine <laughs> i didn't write any of the stories yeah like one any. of it is yours <laughs> but you know i i composed and compiled and selected right. and made the perfect choices and worked with a good team and and sweat o- the team right. right yeah i know it's a very different thing where you know so sometimes people want to be able to control at least some part of it because yeah. otherwise you're like what really what did i do i know it's it's such a nebulous shifting thing yeah um so one one last thing is who were you most like to talk about talk to or learn from um i mean uh, honestly i ed fella i think in a lot of ways a lot of reasons well because he's a west coast guy to start with you know you have less access to somebody who's on the other side of the country um being in new york and going to sva you know you have 
I mean, some of these people were also friends, like, you know, friends with James and Paul and Jan Yalti and all them. And that had a certain comfort level in the exchange. Ed Fella, I mean, the flyers that he did in the 70s and the 80s and, and then all the stuff with Emigre and whatever, I think... Ed Fella is he was he was an idea to me. He was he was just he wasn't a real person. Right. And so I mean and and he can talk and he's crazy smart because he taught, you know, at a graduate level for so long. He uh he's very 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 articulate in talking about process and what goes into design and all the different considerations and I mean he could he could talk circles around us right now. I mean, he's had this conversation a million times, and he'd, he'd go off on some other level. And uh, But he was also just the nicest. I mean, he, he ended up coming to New York, and I had him come do a talk at SVA. Oh, nice. The, and like went out to lunch with him, and he was just the, the best. And I was, so, I was so thrilled. And we had two epic phone conversations, like three, three hours each. That was that was magical. I think that a lot of you know, say someone like like Milton Glaser, um, or even you know Paula, who you know is is. I mean, they're both so so kind and so smart and so thoughtful. But they have been interviewed to death. <laughs> you know, like I went into both. I went to the interview with Milton Glaser, and I was like, I am not going to talk about the I Love New York logo. It's not. It, I refuse. Exactly. I refuse to talk about the the public theater posters with Paula. I'm just not going to do it. Like it's that that path is so well worn, and that's not what this book is about. Like I don't want to. I, I, for me, I I want to talk about design, in a different way, and in the ways that are meaningful to people, and and having somebody do their, you know, dog and pony. Yeah, that you're not adding any value to... Somebody's already done that interview, and they probably did it better than I would have. Right, so like, you know, how do you take your own little little minuscule section of what you want to talk about and really focus on that? Right. Because anybody can find out about the I Love New York, you know, the public theater posters, which are all amazing... I'm not diminishing them at all. Not at all, but it's yeah. a, it's not the focus of what your what your right. intent was. Right. Yeah, right. I think that's really that's really hard sometimes, and it's good to hear that you know um, that sometimes when you when you find that that person, you're like and he was a little hard to find too. He was he has an AOL email address. <laughs> I could just hear him getting his emails like yeah. exactly exactly. <laughs> I got my email. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot of process going on in this. There's a lot of thought intention of why you're putting this book together. I really um, see the interest and the care that you took to really break it up in certain chapters that that, that resonated with you because it allowed you to make more sense of the people you were talking to. Right. Thank you for saying that because <laughs> there was a lot of pressure from various parties to just put an alpha order to do it the same way all the other books are done. And and to me, it, it was never about the individual. You know, it, it wasn't about... I mean, part of it is because some people didn't have the same amount of content. You know, like Abbott Miller only had a few, like, beautiful choice pieces from his archives that he had his team photograph for me and was like, this is, this is what you get. Same for Stefan. Mm-hmm. He was like, here's a, f- a few things. You don't get the full archive. Right. Ed Fella, on the other hand, gave me, like, <laughs> 
like here's a you know four gigabyte drive mail me the hard drive when you get it <laughs> yeah 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 um and, and so there wasn't an even distribution of content and so if i did it organized by people or alpha order you know somebody would get this much and you know somebody would get 50 percent. somebody else would get two percent and and so it wasn't really about that it was more of the intent was um to to have these voices sort of come through in different ways based on their own preferences and and where their values and emphasis lie within the, the broader uh, scope of the design process right which i think allows maybe people to see these creatives differently because it's not the same type of conversation you're having, but it's also not the same organization that people are used to seeing. Yeah. Like, you know, Sagmeister is S, so he's probably going to be at the S. So is Paula Share. So is, you know, it's more about how are these people thinking about what they do and where yeah. they fit. And I think, you know, I appreciated that as a, to say that the content and the way I want to put it out there mm. is more important than the heavy names that are associated yeah. with the content, right? Well, thank you for saying that because it was still to this day is is a was a was a it was a risk, you know. And I've always felt a little weird about putting Paula and Stefan at the end. I mean, they they follow the last batch of work, but their interviews and what they have to say resolve talking about the process in interesting and important way. I think, and they. They were the they were the capstone, you know, and so having you know, front loading the book with you know Paula and Stefan and, and Michael Beirut just didn't seem right for the book, at least this one. No, so agreed. I think their their voices and the point that the points that they needed to make, I think, were important to put in the later part of the book. Right, and I think that you know at the end when you're figuring out all this information, you're realizing how do I how do I end this on a more seamless, natural. Yeah. you know, matter if it, if, if they're, what they're talking about seems to flow in that, you know, it's also a good ending, right? I think so. Right? Where, you where, have to get through the book to get to them. Right. Don't yeah. you, don't you tell, <laughs> yeah. you know, students in the portfolios, you put something really great in the middle and then you leave yeah. a lasting impression at the end. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. If not, yeah. then you're like, Oh, I got to the middle and that's all that was at the end. No, you got to end on a high note. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, you know, it was not on purpose. Yes. Oh, it was, everything was for better and worse. It was all intentional, well, except cool. for the printing mistakes. There's two printing mistakes in the book. Only but. you know. <laughs> um, so also, you sent me over this this PDF for, I believe, um, is it a new SVA Art Is poster? Yeah. Okay, so we were looking for ways to talk about the book, but also talk about other stuff that you work in. And you sent me this PDF as a contact sheet, right? Yeah, what so about- each, sheet, each page had, you know, nine... Yeah, I, d- I did the math. Yeah. But you had at least six or nine versions of a poster. And so if we said that all 79 pages had at least six images on it, that's 474 versions of a poster. Mm-hmm. On the, That's on the low end. On the high end, you're at about 700 plus versions <laughs> yeah, of right. one poster. Yeah. Um, is this normally the way you work? Well, this is like the normal way on steroids. I, you know, this normal way on steroids. I I do. I mean, it's, it's interesting. And, and going back to what we were saying about knowing less on the, in the wake of having done this book. Um, I mean, you, you, you actually hear a lot from, um, athletes and coaches who talk about trust in the process. 
it's, I mean, it's something you hear over and over and over again. Um, and the, you know, the coach says, this is what we do. And all the, all the players get on board. They just say, you know, coach did this and we trust the process and we, you know, and we just do it. And we just, I mean, even a baseball player, right? Like a baseball player, they never change their swing. They, whether they're slumping or whether they're hot, it's always the same swing. You just, you, you have faith in your way of approaching things. And I think that on the heels of this book, that has really, um, it's really injected itself into my own um, studio practice. And this project presented a, a sort of extra fun opportunity to, to, to dig into this. You know, in the, in the Carlson Wilker interview, Jan talks about three different ways that you can approach the process. One is uh, you just start somewhere and you just make, and whenever you end, you end and then you pick the thing. Um, another technique is redefining the end goal. If, if you think you need to end here, you just say, no, I think I'm going to end over there. This is also expressed by uh, this similar thought expressed by Stephen Doyle. Um, and then the third idea is if you usually start at a start somewhere else and see where it gets you. Okay. So, um, I had, you know, I, I had this in mind cause I have all this stuff in mind all the time. And so when Gail, you know, called and, and said, you know, we want you to do the next SVA subway poster. First of all, I was super excited. Well, let's just, step back a second, yeah, right? Sure. So you went to SVA, I did. you teach at SVA, I do. right? And the Gail is Gail Anderson. Yeah. So how did you get this SVA, you know, art is poster gig? Magic. They. Um, <laughs> I need to know this magic. Yeah. They had been. I, I think, and and I can't speak to the to the exact logic of it, but my understanding was um, there had been some interest in in getting some new people to design posters, both illustration and you know people from different departments, people of some connection to the school, and Pablo Delcan had do, had designed one. I guess in the fall. There's okay. a little yellow it was like pencils spelling art is it was great it was purple, yellow pencils on purple background um then there were a couple of illustrators and they wanted another designer to do one so they picked my name out of the hat i guess um so um beyond that i i don't know the the inner workings and the, and the logic of it but it's not like i put in a bid or you know so gail uh, anderson just kind of like comes in and sends you an email and- yeah yeah and i don't know who's doing the next one and it's you're just there doing your thing un, unaware of i mean they they've like 50 years of posters and it's a great archive and they've started doing these little um video pieces as well so you sort of know who's done them but how how that decision process gets how the decision making process um plays out is a mystery so but, the brief for this new poster what was that oh my god it's it's like maddening it's you have two words and an exclamation point. Art is. That's all the copy. And and then they say, do anything you want. And you're the like, worst. You're like, can I curse on this? Yeah, of course. Yeah. You're like, what the fuck am I supposed to do? <laughs> like, I have no, I have no copy. I have no text. You have copy. Have you no, have two words and an exclamation. <laughs> and even the exclamation point is like. You know, if you look back, like, and, and apparently a lot have, a lot of time has been spent on whether it's a period, whether it's a question mark, whether it's an ellipsis, whether it's nothing, 
you know, you go back 10, 15 years and you see different. So anyway, so people have now decided that is an exclamation point for the time being. And that's it. That, and then the size. And a, a gentle nudge that says, well, this is in the subway, so it has to have some pop to it. That Louis Feely subway tile one was actually pretty good. It was awesome. It was awesome. So, so I said to myself, well, first, I, I, you know, I think there's this, um, there's this idea, I think it's called like the arrival myth. And it goes back to the book, too. You're like, why? I did it. Like someone picked me to do this poster and then you're like, fuck me. I have to do this thing now. Like, what am I going to do? So, uh, so for me, I thought, well, sometimes, uh, this kind of stealing a a phrase from a friend of mine who said he loves being a parent and hates parenting. And I think that that's sort of true too. Like I, I love designing. Like I, I, I love it. Like there's, it doesn't, it's, it rarely feels like work. But the like capital D designer, eh, it's like it's a weird term. It's so nebulous. I think sometimes. Right. Um, so I was like, I don't know. Like having this existential conversation with myself about design and blah 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 blah, and what you know, having ideas and what makes good design and all this stuff. And I said, you know what, I'm <laughs> I'm not going to do any sketching. Like I'm not going to do any drawing. No no thumbnails. I'm not going to have any ideas. I just have nothing. I'm just going to start blank and work maybe not improvisationally, but work intuitively. I'm just going to start somewhere and I will see where I go with absolutely no idea. So in the earliest versions of these, you can just, the, the blobby ones are my favorite. Like I had to get something out of my system with the, with the black and white sort of staggered type. And then after that, you can see I did like a few of those. And then after that, um, things got fun with um, blobs, basically just trying to paint with shapes and vectors and stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, you're looking at black and whites, you're looking at, you know, a lot of shapes. What are you working on to create this? You you know, so if you're not doing sketches and you're just thinking right on the computer. The first thing I tried to do was describe the poster that I was going to design by writing it to myself in notes on my phone on the subway. So the post that you would want to see when you looked at something. So basically like describing with words, the poster that I was going to design, there will be a triangle in the left corner. It will say art is in fairly large centered. And so I was trying to do this I'm just trying to completely change. Basically I didn't want to make graph design. I wanted to make a post. I don't know. Like, right. And I mean, you know, looking through a lot of this contact sheets, there's this exploration with color. There's exploration with, with type. There's ways where you're starting to bring in the first initial concepts with the middle concepts and saying, take it from here, mush it into here and see what happens. And then I get bored. So then it was a long study, really fun, mind you of language play, like, and totally stealing from Ed Ruscha and Lawrence Wiener and, you know, these artists who work with language and it was like, like, okay, what can, like, if I'm not allowed, if I'm not given any additional text, what else, what else can I add to it? You know, how can, how can we do our own copywriting? I know. Cause I mean, when you think of the word art is right, yeah. it, it almost seems so definitive of because it's, the it, exclamation point, well, it is something and it is whatever yeah. you're going to represent it. And it looks like, you know, a lot of it is your ability to play with just formulating ideas digitally and own the fact that 
you're making it up as you go along. Totally. And that's, that's what I wanted to do because it's actually rare that I get to do that for a project. And this was the, this was the opportunity to see like, what can I do, you know, and anything can happen in it. And so the idea that you could have fun and include posters within posters and, you know, yeah, the thought layer, process layer is endless. And I think when we get to the end of, um, what your final result was, was literally just the, the idea of this yeah, photo collage it. of uh, a pool of places in New York, things like that. And then this, the, this person jumping into the pool and that perfect moment of, you don't know what's going to happen. Obviously we're foreseeing that the person's going to fall in and just a big splash, yeah. but that's that maybe they'll overshoot the pool and land, land right. But we don't, concrete. but we don't know. And I think yeah. that idea is that's what art is. Right. Absolutely. It's the, the, yeah. the ability for us to go, mm, what is going to happen Something's now? Gonna happen. I don't know you though. Yeah. Right. And I think, you know, so to get to this and to have between 450 to about 600 different versions yeah. of this, you know, one is allowing you to kind of, um, to play with the concept, to start to uncover something because you were not given a lot of information, which is good and bad, but you right. took it as a positive and saying, well, let's just go. Yeah. How long did this take? The interesting thing is, I mean, all told it was a, f- a few months, but it's not like I was working continuously a few months. The The heaviest lifting and the, the, the intense iterative work, that was, you know, a, a full day here, a full day there. <clears throat> but I found that the, the sooner a designer can embrace the process and the, if you can learn to work quickly and in different ways, so not just the, the same thing over and over and over and over, but you do like 10 of those and then you just jump and you go left, you go right, you go up, you go down. You can work really quickly and you can make a lot of different work fairly in a fairly short time frame, um, and in a way that doesn't just burn your budget, like fucking around, you can, you can, you can do both. I think, I mean, you have to value the process and you have to say, I mean, and I'll literally say this to myself today is a day where I'm going to do this. I'm only going to check. I'm going to turn everything off. Today's the day to, to work on this and it'll just be immersive. It'll be eight, 10, 12 hours of just play. Right. It's so fun. Again, it, it always seems like a scam that like <laughs> I get to do this and then bill somebody for it. Um, but you can work very, very quickly if you practice and, um, and, and you can do hundreds of, of versions of things. Well, I mean, that's one of the hardest things I think students have to deal with is yeah. the idea of just, you know, repetitiveness, um, playing you know, iterations, Yeah. you know, they, um, I think when you, you know, you said it earlier, sometimes they, they just get stuck that the idea is going to be clean. So I'm going to start off clean right. instead of worrying about how do I get to eventually be clean? Yeah. You know, like things get clean cause we do it already up and then we just spray it down and we clean it. Like, so it, it, things <laughs> can get clean. It doesn't have to start off. Absolutely. Clean. Absolutely. Um, Cleaning is easy. Tidying, uh, tidying something is Right. That's the, I mean, that's the methodical part, but that's, that's easy. Yeah. But that gets getting to the, point the guts of, of it is exactly. Is hard. Exactly. So now as we, as we kind of like wind down, mm-hmm. I want to ask you just some, some final thoughts. Sure. Um, if you were entering the creative industry today, what advice would you give a younger self? Um, I, I, I think my advice would be to, to explore everything actually to be, to not specialize 
I think being versatile, knowing your programs, knowing your tools, but really knowing how to think and like caring deeply, but but don't overly specialize, I think would be my advice. Yeah, I think I think, you know, being more than just proficient and the idea that it is just a tool. Yeah, yeah. and and in 10 years a different tool will come come along and that should change your work too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Um, so being open to that, I think, yeah. Definitely. So also as a principal of an agency and a design educator, what do you think emerging designers, what do you think are emerging designers' biggest strengths and weaknesses? Um, I think the, the, the weakness is the feedback loop. I think it's seeing, be, because, <clears throat> because the gap is so small between seeing things and liking them and then trying to bring that into your own work. I think there's less space. I don't know. It's, I I think that that's a, I think it's, it's a very tricky place to, to be as a student, like loving super cool work and always looking around and seeing what people are doing. And I I think it can be particularly tough because it kind of makes you feel bad about yourself. Like if you're always chasing that, you'll get it eventually. And then you'll be like, wow, that was really boring. Like that's totally not satisfying. Right. I think. And so what? So, and so then six months, something else will be super cool. And then you're just like chasing that. I don't think that that's a very sustainable way of working, <clears throat> but it, the, the pull of it and the pull of having a social media presence and being famous for just being yourself before you're famous for doing really good work. I think that that's, it's a very difficult thing to navigate, and I think students should be smart about it, as ridiculous and paternalistic as that sounds. <laughs> um, and then the most exciting thing, I, I think the, the more that technology changes, there's room to genuinely be cross or mult, multidisciplinary, that that you can be pluralistic in what you do. You can write, you can design furniture, you can design apps, you can, you can do all that. I mean, make, you know, do branding, make sneakers, whatever. That is all at your fingertips. But I think as young designers, you have to own that and you have to, to know that that's true and be really passionate about it because otherwise it's easy to just get plugged in to, you know, this is what you do and this is what you're going to do every single day. And then, I mean, and, and that's and that's great. I mean, there there are people for whom that's awesome, that specialization thing. But I think there's just so much potential these days um, that I think young designers should should dabble. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think there's room. I don't mean to say well, specialization is less good than than this other thing, but I do think that it's easy for industry and the design culture to make you feel like you have to right um when you don't necessarily have to agree you, you know what i mean yeah, yeah. no definitely and I think, but i don't mean to make it seem like oh no, no one no, is I, valued or one is better i just wanted to clarify a little bit yeah. and i think that's one of the things that we're doing with our um our curriculum yeah. at city tech is that we're noticing that as the industry kind of morphs, as mm-hmm. it continues, the pure list that you mentioned, or like the more person who's thinking about multiple different ways of approaching things yeah. from all of these different angles versus just like a specialist in branding or web or advertising, right. you know, if you can have a little bit of all of that, depending on where you land in the industry, right. you can start to 
morph these yeah. things together. So we're, we're moving to a, a yeah. model of that more so that it allows our students to just be a little bit more equipped. Yeah. The, the other weird thing, and I, I know that this is true for, for designers just leaving school, there's, there's intense pressure to make your work look like everybody else's work. Intense pressure to go, you know, if you want to go get a job at Facebook, you make all your work look like Facebook work. And the number of times I've had students, I'll give two very generic examples. One is student A, who has done a very good job at mimicking this, and they, they can echo what the, the field and the industry they want to work in, and then they show the work and they don't get the job. Student B has done really crazy things, and they, you know, their portfolio is all typography drawn with dirt bikes, and they did a project photographing grass growing. And, but there's like a deep thinking and a rigor and, and a, a, a demonstration of initiative in there, then they go get that job. That, that the, the clear demonstration of passion and, and independence, I think, is hugely valuable. And it really helps young students stand out. Not, not gimmicky, not in a way that you know, is, is cheap or, or you know, just, just for show. But the students I've had who take risks, um, who aren't afraid of failure, and who allow works to sort of evolve, they end up getting more attention at the very least. It's not always a job offer, but, but there's, there's a lot of attention. Right. The, the, the end result doesn't always have to be a job offer. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. One of the last things I want to ask you is, is you know, your book talks about process. Your, also, your book also talks about drawing. And those ideas, you know, on a basic level are very tactile and... Um, paper driven let's just say on right mm-hmm. so how do how do you think process will evolve in a digital space oh it's the same keeping that in mind you know keeping in mind the avant-garde and and the the challenges and and all that stuff digital print or holograms or whatever else might reveal itself i think so long as design is visual communication the the challenges will always be the same. So one last thing. Yeah. Well, what's next on the agenda for Allen Co? Oh, more and more different stuff. I think um, for better and worse, I've always suffered from uh, getting bored easily. <laughs> and so I think, you know, e- even if that's just new techniques to make work, um, I really want to do three-dimensional things. I'm really, we have a little, like the, the teeny, teeny, tiny project that we're working on that involves like actually designing a, a, a functional structure. Um, physical. People, yeah, a, a physical structure. That stuff I think is, is really, um, really thrilling. And just <laughs> trying to maintain a very high quality of work and putting that out into the world. Peter, thank you so much for, for spending you, time on, on this the awesome, podcast. Man. I really appreciate your your conversation, really digging into really what the book is about, the the struggles of the book, and understanding, because I think, like I mentioned before, reading this book and, and really understanding what you're trying to do with, you know, having all these design legends really go into the bank of, of yeah. show me what you did to get there, because we can find out where all the stuff is. We don't where need to landed. focus that. Yeah. yeah, but I want to know 
all of the versions, right? I know. Like you yeah. showing me the 79 pages of look at me trying to figure it out. Yeah. That's the gold. I think so. And and maybe the 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 last the last thing I'd say on it is and maybe this goes back to advice for me as a student. Like I felt like I made the whole project was for the 21, 22 year old version of me. And I thought that this was very much for students in a, in a, I mean, and, and, and professionals as well. But man, like if I'd been a student and someone said like, take a deep breath, like do your thing, let it evolve. Like you don't have to get there too fast. You have to get there eventually. But I, th- I think that that, um, that was a huge, huge motivating factor. Right. For sure. And I think doing it for, for students, this is kind of the reasons why I, I do this in the first place too, yeah. is to allow people to understand that one, depending on the different creatives that I'm interviewing, there's an alignment, Yeah, you know, and also just to hear that we're all struggling or figuring it out in, this, in similar ways yeah. instead of being, well, they've gotten there and they've figured it out and like, no, no, it's taken them a long time. And read any and of these still, interviews, they still deal with the same stuff. Always the same you know, I'll, so my, uh, I, I'm a, I love Tom Waits. You know who Tom Waits is? He's like a singer, songwriter guy. That does sound familiar. Everyone should know who Tom Waits is. I know, I'm, but if I know the song, yeah. I don't, I'm not good with names sometimes, but it's actually if I hear the, the song. Don't, you don't need to sing yeah. it, but. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't. Oh my God. If I tried to do a Tom Waits version of a song, it would be awful. Um, suffice it to say that he's famous beyond his wildest dreams and more important as a songwriter than he probably ever thought he would be. And I remember reading an interview with him and this is like fairly, and he's like, you know, probably 65, 70 now. He said, still, you know, he'll write a song and he's written hundreds and hundreds of songs. He'll write something and be like, this is, this is terrible. This is like, why would, why would somebody care about this? This is just, you know, that, that self doubt, it doesn't go away. And I think the sooner you can embrace that and just have it live next to you and like you put your arm around it and it's part of your thing. Like it, you don't, you don't figure it out and then that goes away. It just, it's always there. And I think it's the nature of the creative process. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Kind of embrace it. Got to. Right. Hug it. <laughs> yeah. Hug it. Yeah. <laughs> Buy a dinner. Totally. Um, well, like once again, thank yeah. you so much, Peter. Thank you. And um, where else can people find out about Allen Co? Allenco.com, A-H-L-A-N-D-C-O.com. Uh, Instagram, underscore, or is it Allenco, underscore, underscore, Allenco? I think it's underscore. I think Allenco. the uh, underscore comes first. Um, those are the big ones. Instagram and our website. That's And um, stop by my class. Well, thanks again. Um, I appreciate this conversation and I appreciate your time. This is awesome. Thank Um, you. This has been works. ah, This has been works in process. Hey, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed my interview with Peter. If you want to learn more about his book, make this look pretty or the SBA poster that he's mentioned in our conversation, please check out the show notes for this episode at wip.show slash 11. There you can find his answers to the iceberg questions and links to the names of the people that he mentioned during the conversation. Also, if you really liked the episode, please give us a rating on Apple Podcast. You can find works in process on all media platforms such as Apple, Google, Spotify, amongst many others. Please follow us on Instagram at works underscore 
in process. Thanks again. And until next time, follow your gut and trust in the process.